I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the first Giants Splash podcast. It's the same as the Giants Double Play podcast, but with a new, catchier name. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Today I talk to Dwayne Kuyper, half of one of baseball's longest-running and most popular television broadcast teams. I plan to do podcasts with all four Giants broadcasters, but I'm starting with Dwayne because he and I are so alike. Maybe two alike, as you'll find out right off the bat when the podcast begins right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Henry Schulman here with Dwayne Kuyper, and as I mentioned in the introduction, I hope to get all four of you broadcasters in for podcasts, but I, I picked you first because I feel we're like, you and I are like kindred spirits. I mean, we have the same background, me, a Jewish kid from the streets of uh, Fairfax District in L.A., and you, a farm boy from Wisconsin. I mean, we're almost like brothers, aren't we? And we kind of pee at the same time. During the games. Yeah, we're on the same schedule, so I'm glad we're starting right off with that. (laughs) It's inevitably, during the course of a game, you know, i got to get up and leave the booth. And whether you're at the stall or I'm at the stall, we're there at the same time. And sometimes, we're even fortunate enough for it to happen twice a game. Uh, It's a bit odd, but... I feel maybe that's one of the strong reasons why I get to be first. Exactly. Now, I I wasn't going to lead with this uh, topic, but uh, in Pittsburgh, it's a very long way from the broadcast booth to the men's room, and now the commercials are going to be 30 seconds shorter. So have you done any strategic planning for this? You know, Pittsburgh is a pain, uh, and there isn't a whole lot you can do. Uh, it's, it's, It's okay if you're on TV, if you're doing TV, and you have a partner, and uh, in on TV we're always going to have a partner, whether it's uh, now Estes or Lopez. But when John is gone, or when Dave is gone, that means one of us is working on radio alone, and uh, and that and that's the problem because you're not going to make it back in time. And when you do make it back in time, you're huffing and puffing, and it just doesn't really do a decent job uh, when you're doing play-by-play. I had one experience at Chase Field. I was probably 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I was working radio alone, ran to the bathroom. On my way out, I pulled on the handle, and the handle came out, and the door wouldn't open. So I took the handle, which was metal, and I beat on the door as hard as I could, because your press box is very close. Somebody's going to hear it. And eventually somebody opened the door. I missed 
four pitches when I got back. But what's really great is every time we go back there now, there's still dents in the door. And Honestly, Dwayne, it's one of the first things I do every series in in Chase Field is when I go to the same bathroom, I'm looking for that dent to see if they ever fixed it, if they ever pounded it out, and they never have. And it's a tribute to you, I think. Well, I, I think when they ever get a new ballpark, I want the door. I want the door, <laughs> and I'm going to put it in the house. But that's the only time where I've really missed a lot of pitches. But in Pittsburgh, it's a great possibility. Now, uh, moving away from the urinary tract, um, so I, I mentioned that you uh, grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. Another thing we have in common, your dad's name is Henry. My name is Henry, I think, last time I checked. Yeah. And uh, Henry Kuiper had a, I believe it was about a 300-acre farm, and, and he grew what? Well, we were raised on a dairy farm, uh, and you're close. I think it was more like around 150, 200 acres, uh, more than enough to, to uh, enjoy raising 40 or 50 dairy cattle. Uh, we had an issue where our farm was located on a pretty busy highway and it was kind of right in the middle of a curve and the state of Wisconsin decided they wanted to take that curve out and that meant you had to go right through our farm to straighten the curve and they forced us all to move the buildings and so that went from a dairy farm it was too hard to move everything to keep it a dairy farm and it went into a, a farm where my dad just raised beef cattle and then he got rid of those totally and just started raising corn and soybeans and barley but he was a great farmer and uh, just recently sold the farm uh, to a hospital so they're going to build a hospital on my dad's farm. As I recall, there was part of that farm that uh, a developer wanted, uh, it might have been, if I remember the story, like a fast food restaurant yeah. or something or other, and uh, something changed your dad's mind about whether he would sell. Well, originally he said, you know, they're not going to make hamburgers on my farm. And then the guy said, well, what if we gave you this amount of money? And he said, well, you can make hamburgers on our farm. <laughs> and now, the, the, the Kuiper boys, we, we all know now, they're the three Kuiper boys who are all in this business, yourself. Um, you know, you, your brother, um, Glenn, is an A's broadcaster. Your brother, Jeff, is a producer and director. Um, and you all did work on the farm at, uh, at times. Uh, some of you were better at plowing than others. And um, your dad had to make a tough decision about where you could plow, right? He did not allow any of us to plow or do anything by the road, by the side of the road. Uh, he felt like every person that drove by the farm was going to judge him as a farmer by how straight the rows of corn were or the rows of soybeans were. Uh, there are no rows for wheat because wheat just grows all over the place. But he did not allow us to cultivate or plant or do anything by the side of the road because everything had to be straight. And he was right. We were not good farmers. I asked him many times of the three boys, who did he think would be the best farmer? And without hesitation, he said it would be Jeff, who is the producer. Uh, he thought Glenn and I spent too much time wanting to get off the tractor and watch TV. And uh, he was right. 
So Winky Dink and you, or uh, the uh, whatever whatever show was on at the time. You know, and it ended up that now all of us are involved in TV one way or the other. Well, I, I was going to ask about that. I mean, when you were growing up, um, were, were you the kind of guys who were talkative, uh, who you know felt comfortable uh, yakking it up with friends, telling stories, and all that? Quite the contrary. Uh, I remember. You know, speech class in high school, terrified, absolutely terrified. And uh, it really wasn't until I got to Cleveland that I started to feel a lot more comfortable in front of an audience, whether it be a microphone or speaking to people at a banquet. Uh, it took a while, but, you know, and then, and then it really becomes second nature. And, I mean, I've watched my son go through the same thing where he's not very comfortable. And we should mention that your son, Cole, is now part of this program on NBC Sports Bay Area. It's some There's three people who are going to be uh, talking, uh, doing stuff, uh, Giants-related, social media-related. Yeah, Cole's going to be part of that group. It's uh, uh, Therese Vignal and uh, Carmen Q, and the three of them will take over the role of the folks that did what was called the Outsiders last year. Uh, and it is. It's a lot of social media driven. And they're in that age group where that's part of their life now, social media. I mean, you're part of it because you're very active on Twitter. I'm really not a part of it, but I do follow things on Twitter. It's, pro you know, it's really part of our job, and I enjoy following people. But uh, that's the age group, you know, that towards the end of their 20s, early 30s, where now it's all about social media. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna enjoy watching him. Uh, you know, we'll see how he does. Now, your first foray full-time, really kind of into media, well, not really full-time, but but extensive time, you did, uh, as I recall, the Giants, it was like the Dwayne Kuyper show when they grab one player and he does a show, whether it's daily or weekly or whatnot. Uh, were you comfortable with that right away? You know what, I didn't mind, I didn't mind it at all. I, I, I'll tell you what I really didn't like, and I took over the show when Joe Morgan got traded, they asked me if I would do his show, and and it was a part of the pregame show on KMBR, and it was going over and interviewing another player, whether it be one of your own teammates, or going over to the visitor side and and asking for interviews. And I was uncomfortable asking for interviews, but I did that the first year, and then the second year they made it part of the postgame show, where we didn't interview anybody. We just Talked about the game after the uh, after the ball game. The original rap. It was kind of the original rap, and I was with David Glass at that time, uh, and then Bob Brindley took over for me, and uh, and then I don't think after Bob there was a player that was a part of any of the pre or post game show. But it did. It always helps when you get involved in doing those things because when they started Giants Vision, uh, Corey Bush, who was one of the Giants executive at that time, you know, knew I'd done those shows and and I was part of two or three guys that were trying for that one spot. Yeah, and uh, Giants Vision was the, the faraway ancestor of what is now NBC Sports Bay Area. Um, 
So your your broadcast partner, I mean, uh, people, everybody knows it, it's been uh, more than two decades, maybe I think 25, 26 years or something like that. But you actually were teammates with Mike Rucco. And actually, before you were teammates with Mike Rucco, you faced him four at, four at backs, five plate appearances in, uh, I believe it was 1980. It was the year before he got traded over. It might have been 82 when you were playing for the Giants and he was playing with the Phillies. Um, he went one for four, or you went one for four with a walk. Uh, what was it like actually facing him? You know, I faced him a lot during spring training. When I was with the Indians, he was with the Cubs. Uh, and I don't have any idea what I did against him. He claims that I wore him out with bunts and infield hits, which I don't remember that at all. Uh, I do remember the base hit I got off of him. It was a three-run fastball that I lined in the right field in Philadelphia. I also know that he struck me out, and he also walked me, as you said. And I don't remember what the outs were. I'm assuming, and I would tell him this if he was standing here, that they were probably line drives to the center <laughs> fielder. Uh, but I don't remember. And, and you know, and I, and I don't remember much about Mike other than facing him. And then when he got traded to the Giants in, in 83, uh, we became fast friends within a week after he joined the team because we had similar personalities. We were both about the same age. He laughed at the same things I laughed. And I guess it was only a natural progression that eventually uh, we would be in the booth together. Well, you know, I made that joke at the beginning of the podcast about, you know, our yours and mine different background, but he's a, you know, he's a Pasadena kid. He, he's a California guy. He look he looks like he belongs on a surfboard and you're from a completely different part of the country. Uh, what brings you together besides sense of humor? Is it that shared, um, that, that shared job that you have, uh, the way baseball, um, is played the way you interact in the locker room and all that well we first you're right we we always interacted in the locker room uh you know if there was something going on that needed to be said it, one of us was going to do it and probably both of us but you're right we couldn't be in a lot of ways we are totally opposites uh you know he likes music he plays all the instruments i i, I couldn't carry a tune or play an instrument uh to save my life uh, you know, he's a, a West Coast kid. I can, I was a Midwest guy, but he was really, he's adapted. I mean, when he got traded to the Cubs, he loved the Midwest. You know, he, he actually talks like he's from the Midwest, but yet he also has great memories of growing up in California. So uh, it's been a great marriage. And uh, my wife occasionally gets jealous, but not so much anymore. I know there's, I mean, you've been together for so long, you probably have a million stories, but is there one Mike Kruko story or that, that just stands out that, uh, you know, uh, that you would tell somebody at a party if they said, hey, what's it like being with Mike Kruko? Well, there, you know what, there's a, there is absolutely a, a gazillion of them. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've been with Mike when he, when we have to speak at these functions. And uh, and I'm standing up there, and he starts telling a story about the, the both of us together, and I'm thinking he's making this up. <laughs> this, he's totally making this up, and uh, and I look at him, and he's got the audience; they're just captivated. They're like, "Oh my God, this is awesome!" And I looked at him afterward, and I go, "Mike, you made that up." He goes, "Well." It was a good story, wasn't it? And I go, yeah, I actually started to believe it. 
We've we've had a number of people that have asked us to uh, to write a book, and uh, and he wants to do it, and I don't. And I tried to explain to him. I said, Mike, we've told these stories for 30 years. I don't know if these, some of these stories are true, but because we've told them for so long, we actually believe that they're true. He said, the only way I would ever do it is if the title went something like this. We're not 100% sure these stories are true. <laughs> so I don't know if we'll ever do it or not, but we might. I think one of the big fears among the fans, and, you know, let's face it, you know, you and Mike are, are getting up there in years. Everybody is. I am, too. And the big fear is that one of these days, and especially with Mike having the health issues, that you're just going to break this thing apart. And, uh, I mean, it, could you imagine what that day would be like and how hard it might be, uh, especially if one of you wants to keep going and the other doesn't? Well, it's going to be a very tearful day, I can tell you that. Uh, but I don't, you know what, I don't see him slowing down at all. I mean, you know, every once in a while I'll think, well, you know, maybe he's lost a half a step. But I do know this, if, if he can get to the park and if he can get in his chair, then he's going to do, at least he's going to do home games. And, uh, and that's at least 80 or 81, and maybe more if you get to postseason. So uh, if, if it happens, I don't see it happening within the next five or ten years. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing. That's a long time. Now, you know, both of you were, were very good ball players. I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, Mike won 20 games in 1986. He had a, had a good career. You had a good career, too. And I think that um, it, there's almost this self-deprecating thing about the one home run that might might mask the, uh, how, how good you were at what you did. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you about the one home run because everybody talks about that. You did something in the second game of a doubleheader against the the Yankees on July 27th, uh, 1978, I believe it was, uh, that very few people in Major League Baseball have ever done. You hit two triples in the same game, both with the bases loaded, two swings, six RBIs. What do you remember about that day? I remember a month load of RBIs in one day. <laughs> uh, I also remember I almost didn't play the uh, the second game of the doubleheader. We... we Rick Waits and I, who was a teammate, we got up at 5.15 that morning because he, he was a singer. And, uh, and the Today Show had invited him to sing, I think it was The Impossible Dream. And he was going to sing it live. And, and I wanted to tag along because I, I had a crush on Jane Pauley. I thought she was really cute. So oh, this is my chance to meet Jane Pauley. So off we went. We got in a cab, and and we're there at uh, at quarter to six. And he sings his song, and I meet Jane Pauley and Tom Brokaw. It was great. It was great to see how the whole operation was on the Today Show. So that, but that's a long day if you're going to play a doubleheader. So I played the first game. I don't remember what I did, and uh, I remember. They asked me if I'd like to play the second game, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I think I, I feel fine. Well, you know, that's one of those days where you're going to sometimes have the best day in your career when you're just not feeling 100%. And uh, two triples in one game with the bases loaded. And one of the guys I watched as a kid had done it, Billy Bruton. He was a, a center fielder with the Milwaukee Braves. And I don't know who the third one is. But I do know there's only three of us that have done it. And now I've done games where there has been a guy that's hit one. And he's up again with the bases loaded. And I'm cheering against him. 
And uh, I'm thinking, I don't even know if that's the right thing to do. But. Well, I mean, whenever a, a player is approaching a record, uh, the guy who holds the record always says, you know, records are made to be broken, and uh, he's a great player. And I couldn't think of anybody else in the world I'd rather have to break that record. And, and I think what you're telling me is that's a bunch of hooey. It's a bunch of crap is what it is. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and afterward, I f you feel bad when the guy flies out or strikes out. But, uh, but hey, what's the difference between three guys doing it or four guys doing it? It's just that I was the last one to do it. Are you still the last one to do it? Yes. Right. Um, now, you uh, you know you started your broadcast career soon after your retirement, and you have been with the Giants ever since except for one detour to Colorado. Uh, 1993 wasn't the happiest year of your career, was it? No, I hated it. And I hated it because we were told by the Giants we're going to sell the team. Uh, only one of the broadcasters is going to go to Florida, and that was Hank Greenwald because he had a couple of years left on his contract. You other guys, go find a job. So I did. I found a job with the Rockies. And what happened? The team stays. They stay. And what do they do? They win 103 games. I mean, I'm sitting in Colorado. My family's back in, in uh, Danville. I'm absolutely miserable. I'm having a breakdown. And, uh, and thank goodness at the end of the 93 season when the Giants came into Colorado to play, I was staying at the hotel, the Westin. That's where the team was staying. And uh, Harmon Burns, uh, Larry Nibby, uh, there was a couple of other, uh, I, I think Pat Geller got involved. And uh, they said, you know, would you like to come back? And I said, would I like to come back? Are you kidding me? So, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Larry Bear about it. And I, I got together with Larry after the season. and. They had to get me out of my Colorado contract to do it, but the Rockies said, all right, you can, you can go if you want to. And I came back. It, it was it was a life-saving. I'd, I'd be dead by now if I had to do games in Colorado. Why? Just because of the length and all that? Altitude, length, the way games are played in that ballpark. Uh, and I really enjoyed Denver. It was great. Uh, but, hey. Once a giant, always a giant. Now, you, you had a unique way of commemorating your time in Colorado every year when we went back. They have a lunchroom there that they've remodeled it, but it used to, they used to have uh, photos of all the, you know, uh, big Rockies players and coaches and managers. And uh, every time we went in there, there was one picture that was upside down, was hung upside down, and uh, Rockies could never figure it out. Uh, we figured it out. Uh, who was that again? Well, it was Clint Hurdle. Uh, Clint Hurdle ended up taking Buddy Bell's job. And uh, Buddy was my roommate in Cleveland, and I really had nothing against Clint Hurdle except he was the guy to take Buddy's job. And when I went in there in honor of Buddy, I'd flip his picture upside down. And, For hurdles, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I know they were hacked off because the next day it was always put back the way it was supposed to be. And I think Bill is the guy's name. He's still there that that uh, runs the press room. And I th he always used to look at me out of the corner of his eye like, are you the guy? And I think I, I, I blamed one of the sports writers. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but. He we'll was, take the hit for you. I, I know you will, absolutely. Let, let's fast forward to now. I mean, we've had uh, the Giants have played uh, two straight losing seasons, uh, 98 loss season. Uh, and, you know, this could be a challenging year, too. 
uh, because of the way the roster is set up and some of the things that Farhan Zaidi is, is trying to do. Now, you've you've broadcast a great years, World Series years. You've broadcast a 98 loss season. Are seasons like this harder for you? I get this question all the time as a beat writer. Are the seasons like this harder for you and Mike? Well, I think as a whole, when the season's over with, you, you look at it and you say, well, you know, there were times that it was a grind. Uh, but, you know, inevitably, as an example, uh, you know, the Giants won a ball game, their first game in San Diego on a Saturday night. And, you know, you're into it. You're, I mean, you're. is it like a postseason game? No, it's not. But... You know this team really needs to win bad, and you're and you know the from the fifth inning on, the Padres had the tie and run in scoring position, and and you don't think about anything other than what's going on at that particular time. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the season in 2018, when they were like five and 20 or some ridiculous number, yeah, it does get to be a grind, but I do think you have to take every game individually. They look at it like this is the big leagues. There's going to be a box score tomorrow. And as Hank Greenwell used to say, just because it's a bad game, it doesn't mean it has to be a bad broadcast. So that's how you have to look at it. And after every game, uh, good game, bad game, uh, game in the middle, you do the wrap with your colleagues, uh, John Miller and Dave Fleming and, and Mike Kruko. And uh, it's, it, it, I mean, it's very unique. You're doing it in a tiny booth where it's hard enough just to get uh, four of you. And I, it's simulcast, I realize that, but it's hard to get four people in, in the picture together. And uh, you, you always seem to have this air of, uh, I wouldn't say disinterest, but you looked a little bored sometimes, and you picked up a beer now and again and, and had a sip. Um, did they tell you to not to do that anymore? Mike is the one who picked up the beer. And yes, Mike got yelled at. <laughs> uh, I'm the potato chip guy. That's right. And, uh, and you know, the whole deal was is when they decided to show it on TV, they told us, please, act like the cameras aren't there. Do whatever you did before the cameras are in the booth. Just do that. And I said, all right, fine. You know, that, I'm, that, that, that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and I've never changed. Now, meantime, uh, you know, John looks into the camera. You know, uh, you know, there's a light now for people to look good and all that. And that's fine. Those guys can do what they want. I'm not going to change. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat a sandwich. I'm going to drink a Coke. I'm going to have a bag of chips. I'm going to eat some peanuts. Because that's the ground rules that they set. And if it looks like I'm disinterested, that's fine. I can look disinterested. I just can't sound disinterested. And you don't. And that's important. Yeah. Um, is that is that rap uh, one of your highlights of the day? It's not. I wish it would go away. But it's become so popular that it's not going to go away. So, uh, so we deal with it. We have fun with it. Uh, and, I, and I really give the Giants credit for understanding that when there's a really crappy game, we call it a crappy game. And we talk about guys that make mistakes. And we're a little bit irreverent on the rap. But, uh, but I think that's what probably makes it work. And then, you know, and just, just finally, I mean, they do ratings, they do polls and all that, and you and Mike and John and Dave consistently rate as uh, the, one of the best groups, TV group, radio group uh, in the major leagues. You're always one, one or two or something like that. Um, I mean, do you take any pride in that? Do you take any kind of, uh, I mean, uh, does it matter to you? It does matter, uh, and we appreciate 
the people that think that uh, that we're at that level. Uh, but I, I don't think you can try to be at that level. I think you have to try to be yourself, and uh, and then you know fans have to accept how you are. I don't think there's any doubt. I say this all the time that our style here may not be the style that people want in the Midwest, or maybe they won't, wouldn't like that style on the East Coast. But it's the style that our fans like. And uh, and that's just the, who we are. Hawk Harrelson came here. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't last very long. I don't think that would work. And I think it showed when Harry Carey came for three months when he did the A's. Uh, there's a certain style that that Northern California likes, and uh, and and I, I think we capture that. Well, listen, um, we could go on doing this, uh, but I can tell we both need to go to the bathroom. So we'll cut it off here. Dwayne Kuyper, I want to thank you. Uh, and I'm going to, like I said on the intro, I'm going to talk to all of the uh, the broadcasters. I think that the fans really uh, love what you have to say. And uh, I wish you the best season as we go on. Well, thank you, Henry. Uh, I say this sincerely that I really appreciate what you do and all of our beat writers but I especially appreciate the Chronicle because it's really one of the last great newspapers and one of the last great sports sections that we have in our country. We just don't have enough of them. Well, I appreciate that a lot coming for you. It means a lot. You have a great day. All right. Thanks, Henry. Thank you for listening and watch for the next Giant Splash podcast. Giant Splash is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you would subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute or two to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at Hank Schulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com. Support Giant Splash and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions available. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.